fake news, fake news, fake news, is <laughs> something we hear a lot about these days. I have to say that I don't remember that word at all when I was younger in life, but in 2017, that word, fake news, became the word of the year. And today, because of fake news, vaccinations that have saved multiplied millions are being shunned, nations are at odds, and some say the very fiber of democracy is threatened because of fake news. Fake news. I read that the doomsday clock, which symbolizes the threat of global annihilation, I'm sure you've heard of that clock before, they have that at two minutes before midnight because of fake news. That's why. The information warfare. We may think that fake news is something specific to our time and something about America's experience, but fake news has really been around since the beginning of time. It has been here since the serpent said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat of any tree of the garden? Fake news. I read that uh, the first newspaper published in North America was shut down in 1690 because it fabricated information. (laughs) Fake news. And I also read that today people connect with fake news sources more than they do with reputable ones. There was a time when people thought that social media would create friendships and community. Instead, what's happened, at least partly, is that they've become petri dishes for misinformation, radicalization, and abuse. Fake news. You know, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between real and fake. And for us, as believers, followers of God, we seek wisdom and truth, and that is all important. But sometimes, since we are seekers for truth, and that God is with us to direct us and guide us, we sometimes assume that what we see is right and wrong, we think is right and wrong. But it may not be. We think that even when we look at others, we think that they're right or wrong based on our conclusions. We're going to look at that today, Sabbath by Sabbath. We've been looking into the book of Paul's, Paul's first inspired letter to the church in, at Corinth. And today we're going to dive into the fourth chapter and consider Paul's insightful counsel counsel for ferreting through this world of fake news. For Paul, this whole issue really came down to a question of whose judgment that he deemed as important. Who has the final word 
for me, for my value. And Paul gives us in this section that we'll look at today, four choices. And these choices really make up the whole story of our being and who we become based on this news. And today, before we leave here, you'll decide which judgment will be your story. Let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Paul said this, I carry, care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. My conscience is clear, he says. And then he goes on. He will bring to light that which is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, in these verses, we're going to see that Paul mentions four you could call it, I I don't know exactly what to call it, but I call it four versions of you. Four versions of you. The four things that, that make up who you are. First of all, he mentions in the first phrase, he mentions what I'm calling the outer self. This is the self that that others see. It's the self that I project. This is the image that gets praised or criticized by other people. And Paul says at the first, in verse number three, I care very little if I'm judged by you. And the, the, the important point here is that when I idolize this self, I'm calling it the public self, when I make my life about this self, about what I'm promoting, who I'm about to others, then I make my life about what I'd call impression management. Impression management. In impression management, I hide my bad qualities and I exaggerate my good qualities. That's what it's all about. By so doing, when I am all about that, I end up becoming a prisoner of what you think of me. Critics control me. A few weeks ago, the scandal broke regarding college admissions. I'm sure all of us have heard or or read about that and how at least 50 people, Hollywood stars, top CEOs, families with clout and money, paid bribes for their children to enroll in Prestigious universities. The head of this ring was a guy by the name of William Singer. And he schemed this this, uh, plan. And what he did, he told prospective clients that he could get his children into top colleges and universities through what he called a side door. A side door. And... He had set up a web of college coaches and standardized test administrators so that he could present students at leading institutions as athletes with great scores and high intellect. And so 
these, these students were, were misrepresented as all sorts of different athletes, as skilled soccer p- players, water polo athletes, rowing, fencing, sailing, tennis, volleyball, basketball, all these things. And, and their examination test scores were fraudulently inflated, and the college coaches bribed and officials bribed. For what reason? Impression. Impression management. Because we all know alma mater is influence. It is. Big influence. It ranks you. It ranks you. In all this this scandal that broke, it's, it's a question of how good am I? How well do I do? How valuable, valuable am I? And the whole thing, this whole scandal, was really, as I see it, about self, self-worth. It was about elitism, about status. And Paul says, it doesn't matter to me, <laughs> he says, it's not a good life strategy. That's what he says. In verse 3, he says, I care very little about what you, how you judge me. And by, by the way, when you really sink your teeth into that, that's a remarkable statement because I think that few of us are there. But in Corinth, that place and that church was focused on the idolization and promotion of the public self. Boasting was their way in Corinth. And that's really what this scandal with college admissions was really all about. It's about getting a a few letters after your name about which you can boast. And that's not what college is supposed to be about. But in our world, in our society, that's what matters. Self-worth. It's tied up in brands, in, in letters, in labels. It's tied up in places. Our self-worth is tied tightly. The Bible has a lot to say about this, a lot to say about boasting. And this is particularly true with the church at Corinth. The word boast happens 59 times in the New Testament. And it's interesting that Paul uses of those 59 times he uses it 55 of the 59 and of those 55 times that Paul uses it 39 times is in the book of Corinthians so you'd have to say that Corinthians and the church at Corinth is ground zero for boasting in Corinth boasting was sort of like brand Management, personal brand management. Boasting was marketing yourself. In fact, one of the best-selling books in ancient times, in the time of this writing, of Paul's writing, was a book by the name of On Praising Oneself Unoffensively, Inoffensively, I'm sorry, by a man by the name of Plutarch. I've never read it, but I heard about it, read some of what he said, And Plutarch wrote this book on praising oneself inoffensively. Hey, do you think that might sell today? I think so. 
It was written especially for politicians to help them learn to boast in a more effective manner because, you know, they need to establish credibility with audiences. So this book was written to help them boast in a way that wouldn't be offensive. Have you ever heard a politician boast? Corinth was filled with inscriptions. Inscriptions by wealthy people promoting their brand, brand management. In fact, back in the day, the single most famous uh, inscription in the ancient world was printed on bronze pillars in Rome by Caesar Augustus. And it was called the Divine the deeds of the divine Augustus. And it was posted there in Rome, and it recorded his good deeds and accomplishments, and Caesar Augustus wanted everyone to know of it. And this is how it read. Below is a copy of the deeds of the divine Augustus by which he subjected the whole world to the dominion of the Roman people. And then for 35 paragraphs, mark it, 35 paragraphs in bronze, he recounts the, the offices he held. He recounts the battles he won. He recounts the titles that were his. He talks about the wealth that he distributed. And then he concludes in the final part of his 35 paragraphs. He says this, And for this merit of mine, by Senate decree, I was called Augustus, and the doors of my temple were publicly clothed with laurel and a civic crown was fixed over my door and a gold shield placed in the Julian Senate house and the inscription of this shield testified to the virtue, mercy, justice, and piety for which the Senate and Roman people gave to me. After that time, I exceeded all influence. <laughs> all in influence. Now, uh, what do you think of that? That's how you praise yourself inoffensively in Corinth. Or maybe on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. That's Paul's public, the public self in Paul's day. And it's the public self in our day too. Brand management. It's boasting. It's self-promotion. It's image image management. And it's all about trying to gain something. Now, Paul had a strategy for dealing with this. And the strategy was die to it. Die to it. In Corinth, in Corinth, life was all about this. Comparing and evaluating speakers, sages, sophists, orators, that's what Corinth was all about. Oratory. Speaking in that day was sort of like figure skating today. They had judges, and the object was to impress the judges and good, get a good ranking. That's how you won. That's how you lost. It was all about that. And so Paul had a response to this, and it was direct. He says, I don't really care. I don't really care. Not that much, anyway. I care very little, he says, about, about what, how you judge me or how I'm judged by any human court. Now, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been criticized? Have you ever been criticized by somebody, some friend, some foe, some 
relative, some neighbor, someone? I'm sure you have because criticism is inevitable. In a previous ministry setting, before coming here to Village Church, I, I was um, oftentimes uh, approached by a good man, a well-meaning man, a Christian man, who would oftentimes start a sentence with, I don't mean to, mean to criticize, but... And what he really meant to do was criticize. <laughs> that's what it was all about. And of course, he would criticize... And that's what, exactly what he meant to do. In Corinth, people were dedicated to public self-enhancement. And they were turning the church into a place where that was happening all the more. Paul talks about how they were constantly posturing each, and trying to appear as being smarter, more devoted, more faithful, more generous. They're all posturing with each other and turning spirituality into a competitive activity in the church. In contrast to this, look at what Paul did. He describes his own life in verses 10 to 13 in chapter number 4. He says, for me, we are fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are honored, we're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags, we're, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. How's Paul's self-enhancement program going? Not so good, huh? Not so good. By the way, that word translated fool in that verse is the word that we get moron from. He says, so we're considered morons for Christ. And he says, we're considered scum of the earth, garbage of the world. By the way, that word garbage is difficult to translate because even the ex uh, scholars struggle to express it. It means something like the filth swept up off the floor. It means something like the dirt removed from our body, like earwax and uh, belly button fuzz. I don't know, <laughs> those kind of things. And Paul's words are strong, dramatic, piercing. He knows the challenge. And he describes the extent to which he has died to what other people think of him. He says, I care little. I care little, he says. Now, here's the irony. When you die to self-promotion, to the public self, you don't live miserably. You live freely. That's the good news. Someone well said, don't let your critic be your judge. That's a good saying. Because there's a difference between being a critic and a judge. A critic, a critic, that's fine. They offer an opinion. But a, a judge imposes a sentence. A critic can offer a word, but a judge says the final word. I believe it's good to listen to critics. Critics are important. We need to, to pay attention. But we must not let them become our judge. Paul loves 
the church in Corinth, but he's not going to let them judge him. He's not going to let them judge him. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse number three, indeed, I don't even judge myself. Interesting statement, isn't it? I don't care about your judgment necessarily. And he says, I don't even judge myself, which brings us to the second self, the second person that Paul would have us consider in this passage. So the the first person was the public self. That's who you think I am. Now the second person that he talks about is the private self. And that's, we could call it, the person who I think I am. There's a me that I don't want anyone else to know. There's a you that you don't want anyone else to know as well. There are things that I've done that I don't want you to know. There's things that I'm ashamed of. There's anger that I've displayed. There's disappointment that I've caused. There's jealousy that's been in my heart. There's greed that's been expressed. And those are things that I try to hide. I don't want you to know those things. That's my private self. This week I was reminded of a bizarre life. The bizarre life of Alexander Wilson. Maybe some of you have heard of Wilson who was an English writer and a military officer during World War I. And he was a spy for the British Secret Intelligence Service. And he was finally an undiscovered bigamist. Um, Alex Wilson, Alexander Wilson, had four wives. Four wives simultaneously. And seven children from each of those unions. And he lied to all of them, to the point that, to the extent that, even his wives only discovered his secret after his death. If you can imagine it. A man by the name of Tim Cook wrote a biography about Wilson and he was interviewed by PBS and he was asked this question, this biography of, biographer of, of uh, Alex Wilson. Do you think at any point Alec felt any regrets about the secret lives he was leading? That was a question of this biographer and this is how he responded. Tim Cook says, I'm sure he did. I believe he must have felt that for too long in his life he was flying, get this, a flimsy First World War mono or biplane in high winds and unable to manage or understand the controls and would eventually crash to the ground ignominiously. How would you like to live a life like that? Pretending takes an enormous amount of energy. The more my public self is incongruent with my private self, the more difficulty I have. And the more that they are aligned, the more authentic and genuine I am. That's what Paul's saying. When I'm a pretender, when I pretend to be nicer than I really am, when I pretend to be more agreeable than I really feel, when I pretend that I'm really smarter than I am, I become hypocritical. I become divided. I'm not as divided as Alec Wilson was, but I'm flawed and I'm failing nevertheless. The strategy for dealing with the private self Live without secrets. 
live without secrets. Don't hide it. Don't fake it. Don't pretend to be something you're not. That's what the current midweek family night series is about here at Village Church. Some of you are coming and some of you have thought about coming. It's called the Conqueror Series. It's about men and women coming together in different groups, separate groups, but in a, coming together in a healing environment that creates trust and respect and support and all in an effort to gain freedom over this most important area of sexual bondage. That's what we want Village Church to be about. That's what Village Church should be about. It should be about a community of faith, a community of trust and hope where we can come together and be real with each other. Because here's the truth about human nature. The the private self can never be healed as long as it remains hidden. The private self can never be healed as long as it remains hidden. You and I can only be loved to the extent extent that we allow ourselves to be known. And at Village Church, we want to be a place where we can be known and accepted and loved and encouraged and embraced so that we can grow together through friendships, through trust, through relationships where we can be loved and known There's a fascinating word that Paul uses to describe this temptation that we have in our private self to to cover up, to hide. It's interesting. You see it there in verse number six. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us meaning of this learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be, then the word, puffed up in being a follower of one of us or one against the other. That word puffed up that Paul uses literally means to be filled with air. (laughs) To be filled with air. It's the inflated self, the ego, trying to look bigger, trying to look better, trying to look, you know, something that I'm not. People in Corinth struggled with this issue so much that Paul talked about it repeatedly. I think it's good. That's why we're talking about it today. Paul talked about it over and over. He said in in verse number 18 of the same chapter, chapter 4, some of you have become arrogant, same word, puffed up, as if I were not coming to you. Arrogant, puffed up. Another one in 5.2, 1 Corinthians 5.2, and you are proud, puffed up, he said. And again, in eight, uh, chapter 8, verse number 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I want to ask you, what kind of knowledge puffs up? Every kind of knowledge, even spiritual knowledge, unfortunately, can puff up. A few months ago, Michael Jeffries, who's the coordinator of this area, of the Pathfinders in this, in this area, asked me to be the host and kind of moderator for the Bible Bowl. And I was so proud of our Wailapu Pathfinders. They had two groups there. They did so very well. But you know, as I contemplated going there and being the moderator and the host for that Bible Bowl, I got to thinking, you know, I'm a pastor. I have degrees in Bible knowledge. I ought to I ought to look smart in this regard, but I ought to do it in a way that I don't come across trying to be smart. I I actually 
thought those thoughts. And that leads us to the third self that Paul talks about in this passage. So first of all, we talked about the first self, the public self, who you think I am. We talked about the second self, which is the private self, and that's who I think I am. But then there's a third self that Paul mentions here in this verse, and it's the self that God knows me to be. It's my real self. My real self. It's the self that slips out at times when I am tired or pushed or challenged. God knows about that. But I try to keep it undercover. But sometimes that real self slips out. Interestingly, the Corinthians were Paul's critics. And that was fine, but he wouldn't let them be his judge. His critic, yes, but not his judge. Because Paul was his own best critic, and he examined himself quite carefully often. You remember, Paul's the guy that called himself the least of all the apostles. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 59. And he famously lamented in Romans 7.15, for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate to do, I do. So Paul was oftentimes critical of himself and even talking about that before others. But as he said to the church in Corinth in chapter number 4, he was not, he was not his own judge. Look what he says. Verse 3 and 4. I do, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, Paul is saying here that he is not qualified to be his own judge. Why is that? Because he doesn't know himself fully. And none of us do really know ourselves fully, do we? Because there's far too much about us that we don't even understand. I don't even understand myself. And my capacity for self-deception is great. Too great. Paul says, my conscience might be clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. (laughs) No, Paul knows what's going on. In our day, we have a street wisdom that says that We don't think of ourselves as highly as we ought to. And so we try to pamper our kids and tell them how wonderful and good and talented they are so they have a good self-esteem, right? Well, you know, according according to research, empirical research, not just street wisdom, the truth of the matter is that we actually think more of ourselves than we ought to. That's the truth of the matter. We accept more credit for our success than we ought to. And we carry more burden for our failures than is reasonable. Interesting. We have an inflated idea of our ability to know truth as compared to others. And I'm really good at that. I think I know truth when it comes to a lot of things. Did you know that the average businessman knows and believes that they're above average in ethics? Now, that doesn't work, you know. You can't have more than half thinking that they are above average in ethics. Again, 70% of high school students believe that they're above average in leadership. That shouldn't be either. 
70%. And a survey of 800,000 high school students revealed that none of them, I'll say again, 0%, believed that they were below average in their ability to get along with others. That's a nice thought, isn't it? <laughs> but it's not, a, it's not a true thought because average means there's got to be a half below and half above. The average person believes that they'll live longer than the average person. <laughs> and a majority of drivers believe that they're above average in their ability to drive. And wouldn't you know it, the majority of drivers that are in the hospital for an accident that was their fault believe that they are above average drivers. That doesn't make sense at all, does it? In other words, there's a gap between my private self, the person I think myself to be, and my real self. Does that make sense? There's a gap there. There's a gap between this private self and my real self, the person that actually exists and that God really is the only one who knows, the real me that God knows. There's a gap between what I think about myself and who I really am. And as Paul said, he's not a good judge of that, but God is. God's the judge. Jeremiah said the same thing. You remember Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Then these words, who can understand it? Who can understand it? One of the most difficult things for me is to know the truth about myself. The wise man said, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Deep waters. Who can know himself? Who can know herself? We can't, but God does. And my work every day is to come to know my real self through God's word led by his spirit every day. The Bible is so brilliant about this process that God leads us in, in a, an understanding of ourself. Like the, the psalmist put it in Psalm 19, verse 12, but who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Who knows this? Who can actually see the problems and the issues of their, their hearts and life? Only God is thoroughly equipped to be my judge. Only God. I can't be my own judge, and you certainly can't, but God can. God knows. He knows my outer thoughts. He knows my inner thoughts. He knows my public, public words. He knows my private words. He knows the wounds that I've inflicted on others, and he knows the wounds I've received. He knows everything. I've been reminded of this lately. I've been reminded that everybody you see is fighting a battle that you don't see. Everybody. There's a battle of anxiety, a battle of depression, a battle of addiction, a battle of compulsion, or they were abused, or they were molested. Everybody has a battle that you don't see. Everybody. And that's why Paul says, 
In verse number five, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. My take from that is, don't live with a judgmental spirit toward others. God judges. God knows. God loves. God accepts. God forgives. And God transforms. That's what he wants to do. And that's actually the final person that Paul talks about here in these verses, the final self. God has a transformation plan for us, for you, for me. There is a glory self that God has for you and me. It's, it's what God has in store for you, what God originally planned for you. Everybody has a glory self. God has a beautiful future for you, for me, a beautiful life for you and me. We can call it our glory self, if you will, and everybody has it. Your glory self is the person that God had in mind when he thought you up. And it's a beautiful picture, friend. It's a beautiful picture. His glory self for you is as radiant as heaven itself. The real reason we want to be famous, someone said, the real reason we want to be famous, the real reason we want to be admired, we want to be esteemed and honored, is because we were made for glory. And we never stop craving it. But if we try to get there without the inner transformation of character that genuine glory requires, it's a train wreck. A train wreck. In Corinth, they were trying to make their public self their glory self. That's what they were trying to do. And that's the constant human temptation. You will be like God. That's why it can be so depressing to go on Instagram, Facebook, and all those other things and see others who are posting their glory self and you're looking at your private self and going, oh my, oh my. Paul's strategy for this one is to desire the glory self above all others. And that's my challenge for you today. Would you? Desire the glory self? You know, it's kind of an ironic thing, I have to say. Today, we talk so much about the self-esteem that we crave. And it seems kind of strange that the Bible counters that with dark statements about warning us about our sin and our evil, you know? The verses we just read. And yet, and yet, our most grandiose descriptions about what we might achieve in human potential look meager, look timid, look pale compared to what Paul says is in store for us. It's ironic to think of that. Consider the thoughts in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the, glory, the Lord's glory are being transformed, how? Into His image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's God's plan for us. So you have a real self, that is the you that is now, with all its fallenness, and only God knows that completely. But you also have a glory self. That's what Paul is saying. You have a glory self. And when the glory self begins to overlap the real self, when the glory self begins to coincide with the design that God had for you from the beginning, that is what we call sanctification. Becoming more in God's image. That's what it's called. Being made holy being made whole, being made glorious, being made in the likeness of God's character, God's beautiful character. That is your glory self. And that is what God is doing in you and in me every day. He's making you. Heaven is working in you. It's love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, justice, all those things to make you shine like a radiant star. That's what God's doing. And I also have to say that's what he's doing in others. How many others, by the way, is he doing that in? Everybody. He's trying. He's trying to do that for everyone. So the challenge for you and me, it appears to me, is to see past people's public servant, uh, a person, see past the private person that may be struggling, and to see past the real person that's filled with scars and wounds and challenges and see the glory person in everyone. In every conversation you have, in every person you meet, treat them like you would someone who's destined for glory. You know, the hallmark of the good news in Jesus Christ is that one day God's kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. There is a final judgment. Already that work is being prepared now in heaven. But right now there are secret thoughts and intentions. They will be all brought to light. And in God's wisdom they will be seen in beauty and in transformation by His Spirit in us. In that day, heaven's judgment will be seen to be true and just and everything fake, all fake news will be gone over that day. But until then, every day, let God work His glory self in you, changing you in His image refining, developing, ennobling, putting heaven in you day by day. And treat others the same way as instruments of God's glory for his honor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness through Jesus Christ that accepts us as human beings, faulty and frail as we are. Lord, 
the extent, uh, the depth of our disease called sin goes deeper than we can even imagine. But also, even more than we can imagine, is the glory that you have for us, the beautiful character, our lives that you are shaping and forming according to your image and your likeness. So to that is greater than we can even imagine. So today we're surrendering. We're surrendering ourselves, our, our public self, our private self, our hidden self, and our glory self. We, we want you to work that in us for your honor until you come back. And may we be your instruments with others, toward others, treating them with the same kindness, respect, and honor that you treat us. This is our prayer. We can't do it without you, but we thank you that with you, all things, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.